Hi, and welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm your host, Sam Stern. I'm joined today by my partner, Candace Is Fording. We had the privilege of speaking to today's guest, Paula Shaw, leader of a legendary and somewhat mysterious Esalen workshop called The Max. Uh, taking the Max, which is described as an acting workshop, but in fact goes much deeper than that, is somewhat of a rite of passage around the Esalen Institute. So we got Paula on the phone and did our best to deconstruct and demystify the magic of the Max. And in doing so, we got into her background, her history with Est, her experiences with the Actors Theater in New York City. And Paula is a very sweet, very intelligent, very deep uh, person who has a lot of wisdom to impart and I think you'll very much enjoy going on this ride with her so with no further ado here's our conversation with Paula Shaw welcome to uh, to voices of Esalen I'm here and Candace is here hello Paula Great. hi Candace nice to talk to you today same here. So, Paula, where, where are we talking to? Where are you today? I am actually on the patio outside of my little condo in Vancouver, British Columbia. I was starting to say it's a beautiful sunny day, which uh, in Vancouver, well, I can't say that it's unusual. It used to be unusual, but there seems to be more sun uh, in recent times, and uh, you know, people just glory in the sun up here. They're just elated when it's sunny. Well, great, good. I, you know, there's a couple of per, a couple of intentions that I have with this interview, and uh, I think you're very well known in the Esalen community and beyond for the work that you've done with a, a workshop called the Max, which has inspired mm-hmm. uh, a lot of growth with its participants, and almost a lot of legend uh, within the community. So I wanted to get into that with you. But before, I thought we might explore uh, a bit of your personal history, and you could bring me through your, I don't know, your your life story a little bit. Okay. Well, where would you like me to start? How about at uh, the beginning, at childhood? Well, Okay. Um, I was born in the Bronx, uh, Bronx, New York, and uh, grew up there and um, got into, I was a very good student. I also interested in acting in high school, and I used to go to uh, New York University before they had women in the Bronx, and the professor of <clears throat> uh, acting, the theater department, uh, was very interested in um, using me in the shows, and I always got the leads. From the age of 15, um, I started playing the leads in the shows at NYU. And, of course, I was also famous in my high school for reading the Bible at assembly. <laughs> so there was my, <laughs> there was my uh, public exposure was reading passages from the Bible uh, to begin the session. At high school, but I used to travel over to NYU, used to take the bus over there, and I had uh, a photographic memory. So I got these large roles in shows, and I would re- I would could remember a three act play, a lead in a three act play, uh, which I learned on the bus going over, and uh, I did that. Uh, gosh, from the age of fifteen to seventeen, 
um, when I went off to Bard College in upstate New York, I got a full scholarship to Bard, uh, which was just a fabulous liberal arts college. Um, small at the time, 200 students, um, and, uh, and I was a drama major. And again, I played leads there, but I got an excellent liberal education um, in all areas, except math and science. Although I was good in math and science in high school at that time, uh, Bard did not have a you know a full rich department in those areas, and I graduated and came to um, uh, came to back to New York City in the '60s, um, and uh, I right away got work off Broadway. You know, it was, it was a great time to be in New York um, in the early '60s, and um, uh, did all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh my God, there was this shows in the theater of the ridiculous the show called girl queen and i got to play karma miranda and uh, uh the gorilla you know would turn away from the audience and pee on stage you know which was a shocker uh it looked like he was pee- peeing into a bottle but you know this stuff was really wild uh ronnie tavell was the writer and uh they were just you know it was it was just wonderful we did all kinds of things as a matter of fact the first professional uh, play i did was from uh james k baxter who was a new zealand poet the poet laureate of new zealand and i played a half maori uh young woman in this play uh the wide open cage um and uh you know studied the culture of new zealand i've never been there but i knew all about it um, and, uh, you know, I did a lot of stuff. We did The Legend of Charlie Parker, the musician, which was kind of a, an eclectic play about the life of Charlie Parker. There were many, many kinds of things, and, and there were a lot of people in the village uh, starting out, uh, you know, the mamas and the papas. Richard Pryor was down there at the Cafe Wa. Uh, Woody Allen was playing next door at the Bitter End. Uh, I was at the Bleecker Street Theater doing my show. I even got to know some of the uh, beats, you know, the uh, Alan, uh, um, uh, Jack Kerouac and uh, Alan Ginsberg. And, you know, they took me to parties with with the up, Upper East Side elite, you know, where we listened to little quartets and little old people, uh, Oscar Levant or Oscar Hammerstein would would welcome the beats and I just kind of came along for the ride and uh, it was a wondrous time to be there. I, I went to Provincetown uh, for a couple of summers and played. Uh, I was the winning pitcher for the sculptors against the painters um, and I knew how to tell jokes. So the, the famous uh, uh, painter Franz Klein used to say, "Tell them the, you know this joke, that joke." I told great jokes, especially Jewish jokes. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I had a fine time going to the village, and then I went to college, and it was only a hundred miles out of New York City, so I used to come back um, on weekends a lot, and um, and then I got into uh, I, I met a man, and we had a summer theater in Ellenville, New York, and we just did, you know, all the summer shows, the uh, the summer stock shows, a lot of comedies and and uh, musicals, and came back to New York. And eventually I did a show in the late 60s, uh, which was a actually groundbreaking show. It was called Geese. Um, it was two one-act plays, and it had happy endings for gay couples. 
and it was right around the time of the of the uh, uh, Sheridan Square riots, the uh, Stonewall riots. And so we used to have uh, uh, seminars after the show where people came from all over the world to discuss the subject of nudity on stage. That was sort of, I would say, my entree into um, leading seminars because I would lead those things. And I met incredible people like Tennessee Williams and, and um, um, uh, um, oh, uh, some of the names elude me, but you know, famous, just famous names of Ravi Shankar and um, uh, the people from all over the world that were famous and, and uh, famous people from Hollywood, Shirley MacLaine. And um, uh, uh, anyway, I, I did that. And then the show came to uh, uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, I was advised to stay in New York because I had a theater career going, but I was not going to be left out. The, the uh, cast of the shows first went to San Francisco and then to L.A., and I came with the show. And so, uh, you know, once, <laughs> boy, once I got to L.A. And I, and I was exposed to the wide open spaces, there was no putting me back in the box of New York City, you know, where mm -hmm. I lived in a rent control apartment when you didn't know if it was day or night uh, inside. Mm -hmm. I, I just loved L.A., um, and uh, uh, so I was there, and uh, and and you know I, I started to get some work in in TV, but I you know I don't know that I was ever really a TV film actress. I think I was more of a theater actress, although I did start getting work. Um, but then what happened in the mid '70s? I was kind of floundering there. It's a place you can get lost easily in LA. New York is not. You get on the treadmill, you just keep going. But I took the EST training in the mid-70s, and that was, for me, like for a lot of people, really opening transformational experience. I, I was uh, uh, blown away by it. Uh, I would describe it to me as uh, Eastern philosophy uh, for Western minds. Um, you know, Werner Erhard, who was the founder of EST, uh, had, had uh, spent a lot of time in the East, and I think he was um, very involved in Zen, and he brought Swami Muktananda to the United States. And I, I got very involved in that, and I was amazed at the work that was done there on the leaders, and I said, wow, they, they were heroes to me, and heroines, and I said, I want to learn to do how, what they do. Uh, there was my God at the time that I went, there was like 300 people and one trainer. And, and you know, what, what they did, they introduced data, and they did uh, exercises. You know, uh, uh, close your eyes, kind of uh, go into your experience and recall a time when, blah, 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 blah. Um, and they bring up, uh, uh, you know, emotional uh, times in your life when you, you know, were wounded or whatever, you know, emotionally and, uh, and you know, work through that stuff. And, uh, you know, people would volunteer to get up and interact with the uh, trainers. Uh, and I was amazed at how they interacted with people. Um, and also the, the data was particularly impressive because it seemed to me that they would uh, kind of lead you down every path you ever took to try to figure out life, what it's all about, and only to hit a wall when you found out that that didn't get you anywhere, you know, kind of blow your mind. Um, they started, by the way, with the, with the agreements, took a whole day. Of, uh, of sorting out the agreements of the training and and people got to see how how uh, um, lousy our integrity was you know we'd make agreements then we'd break them and uh, so you got the fact that um, 
that life didn't work when you went against the agreements. You had to agree to, to certain things to, to be able to do the training. You know, so for instance, when they said, oh, people, you know, you can't leave the room except at the breaks. Well, it's not that they didn't keep you from going to the bathroom. You, you have to go, you have to go. But they made you look, you know, when people got uncomfortable, they'd want to leave the room. And that's why they wanted to leave the room. They got people to look and stop and see that that's why they were falling asleep in, inside the room. And that's why they were trying to leave. They used to do an exercise at the end of the training. They used to say, okay, so did you get it? And, you know, some of us, you know, I, I kind of saw myself as a car that was malfunctioning. And I kept kicking it, you know. And what are you kicking this car for? You're the driver. You know, you're not the car. What are you kicking it? So, it, it, so they would say, so did you get it? And people would say, yeah, I got it. Except the people that said, no, I didn't get it. And they go around and have somebody stand up and say, okay, did you get that you didn't get it? And they say, yeah, I got that I didn't get it. And they say, great, you got it. They say, no, I still didn't get it. So they say, did you get that you didn't get that you didn't get it? Yeah, you got it. It was so funny. I mean, people were falling, <laughs> falling on the ground because it blew. Because uh, you know what you really got to see was that who you were was outside of all of that. You know. Um, anyway, I, I I loved it, and uh, I walked around God for five weeks out of really. Uh, kind of, I felt like I I, I was free, uh, and I hung around there for oh my gosh six years seven years. I became what they call a guest seminar leader uh, in which, you know, I told other people about the training and we had uh, meetings and uh, I was very good at it because I was not one to try to pressure people into taking the training. I hated that aspect of it, but I got to play with people to really to just see if they really wanted to do it, but, but to, for them to look at their considerations about it. Well, yeah, I, I can't afford it. I said, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that ring on your finger. Mm, what did that set you back? Oh, you know, $3,000. Oh, well, the training at that time was like $250. I said, well, you know what? That ring is a lot more valuable than your life. I see why you would pay that for the ring, but not to take the training. But, but you know, only if they showed interest in it. Because I knew that people were scared of it. They were scared to take a look because in order to take a look, you had to be willing to look at the fact that, uh, you know, you had a set construct of your life and probably a large part of it didn't work. It just didn't work. But you'd rather the safety and the comfort of your belief systems, even if you were miserable and limited, than, you know, take a look at getting outside of it. Uh, and, and taking, you know, and, and, and from the perspective of what is really true and what isn't true, not that what you've been told or what you believe or what you're conditioned. So anyway, that had, had a profound influence on my life, and I hung around there. Meanwhile, I was an actress uh, in Los Angeles, and um, I started to get work. Uh, at the same time, I was doing these seminars. You know, I was actually doing them for free. I was leading them for free. And people say, oh, what a sucker you are. You work for them, you know, all those hours a week for free. I said, you know what? It was like my university of training, personal awareness training, uh, and also of leadership training. And I assisted around there. I mean, I was, you know, it was like a Zen, uh, a, a Zen training, 
You know, you do what they say, you know, whether, whether you feel they're right or wrong, you know, you just get off it and do it, whatever it is, you know, um, uh, whether it's clean toilets or, or, you know, write things on the board. And I, and I, you know, I just saw amazing things happen. Um, you know, the, the notion that no one's out there, you know, that I remember uh, a woman of saying, you know, that what you see in the, in the world is a reflection of your own reality. So he said, it's kind of like standing, you know, we're all waiting for things to come to us before we initiate something. He said, it's like standing in front of a, of a huge mountain and, and shouting out, you first, and back comes your echo. You first, you first, you first, you know? Um, and and that, that struck me very strongly that I'd been standing there saying you first uh, to the universe and all I was getting back was, you know, not me first, you know. Um, a lot of things like that. Uh, I remember magic was kind of like, um, oh, sometimes I'd get on the phone and, uh, you know, to call people who come to the seminars to see if they were interested in enrolling the training. And uh, I didn't, you know, and I'd call and then maybe I'd go for nine calls. Nobody was home. And I spoke to my supervisor. I said, nobody's home. And he said, well, are you home? I said, what do you mean? He said, what's going on? Oh, well, I don't want to be here, and I'm hungry, and I want to go home, and I want to see my boyfriend, and I'm tired, and I don't think anybody's going to be interested anyway. And he kept asking, 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 and finally, he said, is anything else? I said, no, that's it. That's all of it. He said, great. Back on the phone. I get back on the phone, and I swear to God, the next nine people were home, answered mm-hmm. the phone, you know, and a number of them would, you know, be interested in role in training. So more there were so many examples like that of playing at that level and finding out how reality reflected me and where I was at. So I did that for quite a while. At the same time, I became a member of the Actors Studio, the famous, you know, uh, Lee Strasberg's Actors Studio. And I also got involved in uh, uh, an improvisational theater group for a number of years, Wonderful Synergy Trust, and learned that work. And that was great. And we did shows from scratch. And I started teaching open workshops there. And um, I was also starting to teach acting classes. You know, I became an acting teacher in Los Angeles. And I was doing uh, work scenes at the studio and projects at the actor's studio. Um, and so all that was going on. And then uh, a man named Dan Fossey had started a workshop in New York, a weekend workshop called The Mastery, and uh, for actors and other creative artists, but mainly actors. And um, um, long story short, I met him at a, at a EST uh, conference, and he invited me to take it in L.A., because he was coming out to do it in L.A., to come as his guest. And I took it, and he said, great, you can leave it. And he said, you know, with, with the background we have. Now, Format-wise and content-wise, it was very different than the S-training, very different. It's an acting workshop. However, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of what I learned in terms of leadership, uh, you know, was, was the kind of training that he and I had. So, um, uh, you know, he started that, uh, and the purpose of that was uh, you are the source of your own creativity was the purpose of that workshop. And um, 
he had something called the Actors Institute in New York, and I and a couple of other people uh, uh, ran the Actors Institute in Los Angeles, along, by the way, with Ted Danson, the actor, and his mm-hmm. wife at that time. And um, so a lot of well-known actors took the workshop at that time, and, uh, uh, and we did it. But it was done as a weekend. It was a 35-hour weekend, which started Friday night, in the evening and went to Sunday night and there were very late hours, like Friday and Saturday, literally till three, four in the morning, sometimes later. So this is like, uh, so this is like an early version of the Max that you're describing now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we started that, I was still leading S graduate seminars from, oh, I was leading those from about 76 till about 82. And the mastery came out to Los Angeles about 78, 79. And I started leading them in L.A. He would come out too, but then I was the first one in L.A. to start leading them. And I traveled around the country uh, to places like, um, oh, Houston, Dallas, uh, New Orleans, um, uh, you know, to, to, to lead them um, uh, up in, you know, San Luis Obispo. Anyway, I did that, and then... Uh, what happened was, haha, there was an Actors Institute in um, England, in London, where the mastery had been done. And a couple of people went over to Fintorn in Scotland and led the mastery. And apparently it, it had a big impact uh, there. And it, uh, you know, um, a, a woman, as a matter of fact, who, who had been at Fintorn, who left Fintorn, came to Esalen, uh, she, like a number of people, left Ventorn to, to go elsewhere and create whatever they were going to create. She came to Esalen and headed the cabins department. And her name was, she was Dutch, a Dutch lady named Sophia Schweitzer. And she and Alan Mayfield, who has been in and around Esalen for a long time, who's a mover and shaker, um, she uh, called New York, and New York gave her my number in L.A., uh, and she called me up and said she wanted to bring the workshop to Esalen. And she said, oh, Paula, my name is Sophia Schweitzer. I did this mastery in Findhorn, and it, I need to bring it to Esalen. They need this workshop. Too much massage. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what she said. I'll never forget. That conversation I will never forget. And uh, so... I said, sure. And, uh, you know, I came up to Esalen with a couple of people, and she and Alan, uh, Alan who hadn't done it, she who'd done it in Finjo, and we did it as a weekend. We, they enrolled 30 staff. This was in February of 1988. There were still some people around who were in that first mastery. And boy, oh, boy. At first, they were very rebellious. You know, they were, it, it did not fit. Uh, uh, the format of other workshops at Ethelene. First of all, you have to be on time. That's number one. They did not like that at all. And then they had to sit on chairs that were lined up precisely in front of a stage. You know, we set up a stage. And there were pads and pens set up formally underneath the chairs. Um, and, and the workshop, which, as you know, is a very structured workshop. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in there. But it's a very structured workshop, and there are sections of it, and there are rules and, and guidelines about what each section is. And um, 
I don't, you know, I'm looking back, I say, my God, how did I, you know, how did I survive that? But I did, you know, and I, you know, was just, was happy to be there and, and happy to, you know, hold the fort and to fight with people when they wanted to fight, which they did, uh, some more than others. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they would say, look at you, you look in your little uniform. I don't know what I wore, you know, a mini skirt or something, whatever you wore in 19. I was not dressed like them. They said, you look like you're in uniform. You could work at Disneyland. I said, I look like I'm in uniform? Look at yourselves. And your tie-dye and your moo-moos. You haven't been shopping since 1963. You've got <laughs> So, you know, so, uh, my God, we got into it. I think it's possible that some people who are listening to this uh, program don't know exactly what the, the MAX is, and I, I know uh, ostensibly it's, a, it's an acting workshop. I wonder if it would be possible it for is. you to attempt, attempt to kind of explain what goes on uh, and w- and w- what oh, sure. Oh, I'm, I'm happy so to. I, I, well, you know what? It, 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 people seem to not want to tell people what goes on in there. I, yeah, I'll tell you. I don't care because it doesn't matter. You know, it's like uh, describing a strawberry, but when you eat it, it's entirely different than any description of it. It's an experiential workshop. So I'm happy to describe it. I, uh, you know, by the way, just so you know, I did it uh, as a weekend uh, for a couple of three years where just staff took it until people uh, around Esalen who were in other courses said, you know, they saw the kind of uh, excitement and aliveness. They said, what are they doing over there? I want to do what they're doing. And uh, Nancy said, can you make this into a five-day format? Because it was 35 hours. I said, sure, I can. That's when he eated y'all into the max. So uh, obviously there were things that were changed. Um, and uh, I started doing it that way. Now, I... I have a number of ways to describe the purpose of it. Um, I say it's, um, it's about discovering yourself beyond who you know yourself to be. You know, it's about uh, really opening up the, the parameters of who you think you are, of stretching the container of your experience so that you are a lot larger. You get to experience a lot deeper and broader and larger. Um, uh, than you have thus, you know, have so far experienced. A lot of stuff obviously comes up from your past um, that you get to look at and other people's too. So it's done in a format in which people get up on stage. You know, as I say, they, they, the chairs are set up. The first day we call is about getting here. And it's about what we call presencing yourself. Uh, and how you do that is you get up in front of the room. You make a connection. It's important that you make an eye connection because you can't do it with your eyes closed and can't do it just looking around. You need to be connected. So uh, as you connect, you start to look at what's real. And what's real is not just the thoughts swimming around your head, what you think or what you feel. It's what's real is actually in the moment what you're experiencing, which means your body sensations for one thing. And most of us are not even, uh, you know, we're asleep when it comes to identifying. So rather than say, Oh, I'm feeling a tired. Well, what does that mean? Where in your body do you feel tired? Oh, well, uh, this is thinking. a thinking in my chest. Okay, breathe into it. I have people breathe into. Or eventually, you know, I feel, oh, there's some sadness. What do you mean sadness? Where? Oh, in my chest. What's there? It's heavy. And then breathe into it. Or I feel scared. What do you mean? What's that? Oh, where do you feel scared? Well, my 
my throat is uh, is tightening. Breathe into the tightening. Or my my legs are shaking. Where is it shaking? My knees. Breathe into it. And as you stay connected with your eyes and breathe into the areas that you're that you're actually the body sensations that are there, you start waking up to how much is going on in your body at every given moment that you're not even aware of. That you're off in your head in some story, moment to moment, some narration of who you think you are or what's going on that is repetitive and that keeps you stuck. Because actors, why, of course, it's, a, it's not why it's an acting workshop, but actors have got to be able to be connected uh, on a deeper level, connected emotionally, connected so that what they do uh, uh, is accessing their humanity, accessing their human experience so that they're able to um, portray whatever it is they want to portray, which characters who have deep experiences of things like grief and despair and, and loss and, and humiliation and whatever all else actors have to portray. You can't take it anymore. It's not, you know, back when they used to do that, it's not what we call presentational acting. It's experiential acting. And, you know, that came in very strongly. Um, oh, you know, Marlon Brando was the epitome of that, I would say. Montgomery Cliff started at James Dean. It's not that stylized. I mean, there were always good actors, don't get me wrong. There always were the James Cagneys and the Humphrey Bogarts and, and people who, who seemed real, the Ingrid Bergman. But there were a lot of people who, who represent, they represented human experience rather than actually, uh, you know, actually uh, experienced it and were able to communicate it and self-express it. So that was, as I say, the original purpose of the workshop was for actors to open up so that they'd be conversant with themselves on all these levels. So anyway, that's what we do the first day. We say we present ourselves. We do emotional exercises in there, as you know. We do, uh, uh, people bring uh, uh, performance pieces, brief, you know, like one to three minutes. And the purpose of that is communication, right? Can you communicate? Can you self-express and communicate a song or a poem or a monologue or something you wrote, you know? And what happens, people come thinking that it's important. And I ask people to bring a memorized piece. It's very important that people do their best to memorize the piece. And, and if you forget it, well, my goodness, what a wonderful thing to, have the, to be able to experience what happens when you do. Everybody's so terrified. So many people won't go in front of other people um, and won't get up because they're so afraid of making a fool of themselves and short-circuiting, of, you know, of turning red and having their mind short-circuit. And you, if that happens, you know, you discover what, what you can do. And how you can actually be in that space that you won't die. You will survive it. You know, you can breathe through it. You can recover yourself. So the workshop, again, is beyond, about one of the things is beyond going beyond your standards, your crummy standards that, that weren't even devised by you, you know, that you were told never make a fool of yourself. You have to look good. Uh, you know, you can't be embarrassed. You have to keep it together. You have to, mainly it's about staying in control. Um, so the workshop is a safe place to take a risk. And you always say you're not going to be brilliant 
You're not going to be successful unless you're willing to fail. You're not going to be brilliant unless you're willing to be lousy. You know, we know that people that play a big game have often failed, have often fallen on their faces and got up and kept going. So, uh, as you know, that's, that's some of what goes on in there. Uh, um, there's a lot. There's work that people do in groups creatively, uh, eventually, uh, and people do, as you know, assignments. So on the breaks, people are often doing some kind of act, acting assignment. And it might have to do with what it is they're afraid to play with, or it might have to do with what they do already, but they haven't even been conscious that they do it so that they get to do it on purpose, you know, get to act the role of someone who's scared all the time, get to act the role of someone who's a people pleaser. They said, but I do that anyway. I said, yeah, but it runs you. You don't run it. And sometimes if you take it on as an assignment, you get behind it. You know, oh, I see. Now I can have it. I, I have choice. You know, I think it's very important to have, to, to have choice. So at least to know that you have a choice, you know, but actually being able to notice what's going on with you um, and make a choice about sometimes you can't. You're stuck in there, so you may as well take it on. And do it, since it's doing you anyway. Oh, that reminds me of um, something you said in the class that I always remembered was um, when you're, you know, in a shopping center and you need to go somewhere, what do you do? You look at the map and you see where you are. Right. And then right. from where you are, you can go somewhere else. But you have to know where you are. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you, you, can't, you can't get there from where you're not. You can't get there from there. You can only get there from here. So if you know, like as they say in the mall, it says you are here. And once you know where you are, you can say, oh, I see. The gap is upstairs on the second floor. I have to make a right, and, you know, like that. One thing that struck me about your class was that, or the, the, the workshop was that it almost created an alternate reality. There was this, uh, like, profound intimacy that was, that was created within the, the walls of, of the room where we do these, mm -hmm. these long hours and I don't know, it, it felt like confessions were being made and, and people were shedding layers and it seemed like there was almost this magical alchemical uh, process that was going on in there which made the, the workshop so unique to me. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I, I jokingly say, and believe me, this is no, I'm not casting aspersions on this other kind of a workshop. But I often tell people, this is not a pillow workshop, okay? <laughs> you will not sit in a circle in pillows, you know, uh, revealing what's going on with you and talking about it and sharing about it and processing and comforting each other. Now, as I say, there's a lot of value in those. I, I have led pillow workshops, but this is something else. And there's something about theater, like when you go to a darkened theater, and you look at what's going on on stage and it can transform you because you see yourself up there. It's like you're watching something. You're watching your experience by watching other people's experience. And as you know, it's very raw. People are operating right on the edge. How do you work? Do you work by intuition or do you work with a, with a set plan like I want to open you up? 
Well, you know, I'll tell you, I don't know anymore. I would say it, 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 I'm not a woo-woo person, but I'd say it comes through me. I'd say it, it is, I listen. Uh, and, and, and I just go with what comes up from what I see, you know, what I experience. Um, as you know, there, there may be, you know, there are assignments that come up again in different workshops that people have had before, but they seem to come up from the moment. That's what I love about this workshop is that it unfolds itself. I, I don't really worry about what I'm going to do with this person. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it seems mm -hmm. to emerge and uh, whether you call it intuition, whether you, whatever you call it, uh, I do, and I say that's one of the things that people say, well, what do you get out of the workshop? And I'll say, trust the process. Because all, that's all there is in life. What else is there? Right. You either trust it or you don't. <laughs> and in there, what happens, it's a very strong process that we're in. People you know, are, are, are into it very strongly. And there's a whole room full of people that are into it. So it creates a, you know, very, very strong, again, without going into, you know, woo descriptions, it, but it does create a very strong energetic field. And in that energetic field, things emerge that amaze me. I am amazed which I guess is why I continue to be fascinated even after doing it for over three decades. Right. And so um, I, I had the luxury of taking the max in November of, of 2014, and then I later that year got to um, assist it and um, got to see you just work brilliantly um, with two different groups. And, yeah, it was, it was striking to me how the two different groups were so different and yet some of the same themes were coming up for people. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering if you could say something about that. And, and also, um, from the completion of doing that, um, I personally had you know, some pretty huge breakthroughs creatively and was able to you know, write a play with Sam and, and, and perform it together. And you know, that felt like such a huge accomplishment. And, and um, I was just wondering if, if other people report back to you different types of breakthroughs that, that they have after completing the max and, and what kind of things people say happen. Um, yes, all the time. Um, I mean, you can see and say for yourself what, if you can connect what opened up for you that uh, a propelled you into what happened creatively. Um, I would say when you go to, to the, you know, to, to uh, you know, edgy places for yourself, uh, dark places that open up um, and weren't, and, you know, and suddenly light is shed on those dark places and suddenly you find that you're, you're not spending your time holding yourself together so tightly protect yourself from hurt or pain or whatever you're protecting yourself from or what other people think of you um, when you take those kind of risks to be seen or to um, you know step out into acting roles you find oh my god I didn't know I could do this I didn't know 
mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people in the assignments, I'm not an actor. Well, hello. <laughs> Look what you just did. You know? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by people, which leads me to believe that everybody, of course, has that capacity, whether we were shut down as little children, um, whatever happened, uh, you know, there it is. And, and yeah, I mean, all, so all kinds of, you know, to use that word, magical things open up for people in the areas, in every area of life, in relationship, and, you know, people are willing to take more risks, they're willing to... Um, step out and, and be vulnerable and and uh, speak up and and uh, um, you know just go go behave in in areas in which they have hitherto not been able to do you know behave that way um, and and put themselves out to other people and in the world um, on an experiential level uh, level. Then, yeah, new, uh, you know, like in Feldenkrais, they would say new synapses. You know, you go down uh, uh, a new avenue and, and uh, go down synapses that weren't connected before or were asleep. Uh, and the max, you start going down new avenues in your experience and it, and it resonates in your, um, in your chemistry, you know, and in, right. in your nervous system. In your brain connections, uh, absolutely. There's wiring that's rewired or just, you know, opened up and new little sprouts, new little synapses grow, new little wires sprout out and connect right. to other you, wires. You take risks, you, you know, become vulnerable and, and you don't die and, and maybe even something good or great happens because yes. you take the risk and, you know, become vulnerable. And you see that it works. You didn't die. Oh, yeah, maybe you I didn't could die. do that again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe even people you know? clap and tell you you're wonderful. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and as I, and you know, in there, I keep talking about the system. There's nothing new in the system. You know, they say the bad news. They used to tell us by five, it's all over. Now they're telling us by one. <laughs> the system is pretty well set in place. You know. Uh, the protection and the beliefs and the conditioning. Um, and so, uh, yeah, no longer is the system running the whole show. It can do its thing, but you're there watching, saying, oh, I don't know what you're doing. I see you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, we've done it that way, uh, you know, so many times. How about we, you know, maybe not? So you're coming, you're coming up on 30 years of teaching the Max at Esalen. I'm just wondering, how have you changed as a, as a teacher? How have you perfected your art? Well, you know, it's kind of changed me. Uh, I think that initially it was more confrontive, like there was that S influence, because the trainers would sometimes be, would seem pretty harsh with people, pretty hard nosed. And, uh, you know, so at first, you know, I, my, what I'll say about it is I no longer do B and E's. You know what B and E's are? So I no, no longer break and enter. I don't have to. If people are willing, if people are willing and they want me to press them, I will. You will get what you need to get uh, uh, by 
everything that happens in there through you and through the other people, what you do with them and what you watch them to go through. Um, I don't profess to know anymore what somebody should be doing in there or how they should be. Everybody has a process that I think is, uh, is pretty sacred and perfect, and they go through what they have to go through, you know? And my job is to kind of just shepherd them through and guide them through, you know, and make sure everybody, you know, stays on board, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm imagining, I'm imagining there's some people out there listening to this right now that are thinking, oh, I might, I might want to take the max. I mean, what would you say to somebody who might be on the, I don't know, on the fence about it? Yeah. Well, you know. See if you're willing to take a risk. You know, it's funny. I just got a call a couple of days ago from a fellow who's been an accountant all his life and, you know, started to get into how safe he's played life. And he looked at the Esalen catalog. A friend who's a psychologist told him he should go to Esalen. And of all the courses, he read the catalog. But he said, yours jumped out at me. I said, well, isn't that interesting? He said, yeah, there were a lot about learn to love yourself and this, that, and the other thing. He said, but yours... It did make my heart beat faster. And I said, well, you know, I'm not telling you what to do. I, I would follow your instinct. And, uh, uh, you know, if it does get your heart beating faster, well, there's some information coming from somewhere that's enlivening inside of you. You know, trust. What, what, do, you, what do you have to lose? You're not going to die in there. The system may tell you, oh, my God, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll lose my mind. I'll go crazy. I'll whatever. No, we haven't lost one yet, you know, <laughs> in 30 years. And, and, and I, I doubt you'll have the distinction of being the first. You know? <laughs> but for sure, it, it'll, it, it will be scary. I always say, if you remember, I say I'm worried about people that are not anxious coming in, that, that aren't nervous. Mm. I, I said, would it be crazy? Are they out of touch? Of course, if they're coming in to do something that's going to be this kind of a challenge that they've never done like this before, of course, it's going to be uh, scary, you know? So I I encourage them. I always tell Eflin that there's somebody that's right on the edge, but they really have a couple of questions and they really need to talk to me, say, if I get the answers to these questions, it will determine whether I enroll or not. I say, give him my number. I'll talk to him. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, again, I, I don't try to... We used to do MS training, but I've long since passed the time where I try to enroll anybody. I'm not interested in trying to get people to take this workshop. I'm interested in people looking to see if they would really like to, you know, if they're intrigued by it if they want to step into it, that excites me to see somebody willing to take the risk, not me try to talk them into it. Not what I do anymore, if I ever did. There's, there is a website, and it's called themaxwithpaulashaw.com. It has a, an interview, actually, with a fellow from Germany who produced it there for, you know, this was, he had a business consulting, so he talks to me about it from, from a business standpoint. Um, and, and by the way, we've had people from all walks of life, from business, had people from the military, you name it, 
Somebody has come. The people that take it now are not actors, or at least that's not what they do for a living. They're all the people from every walk of life. It's no longer an acting. I mean, it's still an acting workshop, but it's for, for others, for people who just want to, you know, want to step out and want to get, you know, be able to play a bigger game if they choose to mm-hmm. with themselves and others and in the world. I just want to be freer, want to be able to free up their self-expression so they can look on there. And, of course, as you know, they can look in the Esalen catalog. I do it now twice a year at Esalen. Uh, pretty much it's been steadily one right over Thanksgiving week uh, in November and one in March. So they can, you know, read about it there and, and be uh, be switched to their uh, to the website for the Max. And as I say, if they really want to get in touch with me, I'm available to talk to personally. Well, we both we both highly recommend it. It gets my, my, star, my seal of approval. Yes, mine too. Well, One of my all-time favorites. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, so, it's so, I remember the two of you in there. I am, I've been a witness for what's happened for you both. You are sort of my poster children. Right. <laughs> for, for what can happen when you take the max. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm pr- proud of everything you've been doing with your lives. And I, I congratulate you in, in every way for the way your lives have expanded and, and, uh, and that you've been smart enough to do it in partnership, too, to do a lot of it in partnership. Oh, thank you, Paula. Thank, thank, you. thank you for your, very for your offering in this teaching and... Yeah, just it just feels like such a amazing offering you share with humanity and with the people of Esalen. And um, yeah, just really grateful for you and all the the positive change that happens because of this work. Well, you know, it's one of those things that makes my life worth living. I got to tell you, I feel blessed to have been guided to this work because I know I was, you know, and that I needed it myself. And and uh, I was led down this path, so um, I'm lucky to still be walking on it. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Paula. You're welcome. I'll see you next time around. Today's episode of Voices of Esalen was produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Geraldine Hess, Lori Putnam, and Shannon Hudson. Special thanks today to Candace Fording for co-hosting and to Ian Golden for technical support. Today's music is Graham Bowl with a track titled First New Day. You can check us out on the web at esalen.org, that's E-S-A-L-E-N, or visit us on iTunes and subscribe so you'll never miss an update. Thank you so much for your support. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>